When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The poem says, Human voices wake us, and we drown. But I've made this podcast with the belief that human voices are what we need. And so, whether from a year or 3,000 years ago, whether poetry or prose, whether fiction or diary or biography, here are the best things we have ever thought, written, or said. Here are six poems from about the middle section of Robinson Jeffers' career, written from about 1930 to 1947, and the first of them is called New Mexican Mountain. I watch the Indians dancing to help the young corn at Taos Pueblo. The old men squat in a ring and make the song, the young women with fat bare arms and a few shame-faced young men shuffle the dance. The lean, muscled young men are naked to the narrow loins, their breasts and backs daubed with white clay. Two eagle feathers plume the black heads. They dance with reluctance. They are growing civilized. The old men persuade them. Only the drum is confident. It thinks the world has not changed the beating heart, the simplest of rhythms. It thinks the world has not changed at all. It is only a dreamer, a brainless heart. The drum has no eyes. These tourists have eyes, the hundred watching the dance, white Americans, hungrily too, with reverence, not laughter. Pilgrims from civilization, anxiously seeking beauty, religion, poetry, Pilgrims from the vacuum. People from cities, anxious to be human again. Poor show how they suck you empty. The Indians are emptied, and certainly there was never religion enough, nor beauty, nor poetry here, to fill Americans. Only the drum is confident. It thinks the world has not changed. Apparently only myself and the strong tribal drum, and the rock head of Taos Mountain, remember that civilization is a transient sickness. And the next poem is called, Still the Mind Smiles. Still the mind smiles at its own rebellions, knowing all the while that civilization and the other evils that make humanity ridiculous remain beautiful in the whole fabric, excesses that balance each other like the paired wings of a flying bird, misery and riches, civilization and squalid savagery, mass war and the odor of unmanly peace, 
tragic flourishes above and below the normal of life. In order to value this fretful time, it is necessary to remember our norm, the unaltered passions, the same colored wings of imagination, that the crowd clips and lonely places new grown, the unchanged lives of herdsmen and mountain farms, where men are few and a few tools, a few weapons, and their dawns are beautiful. From here, for normal, one sees both ways and listens to the splendor of God, the exact poet, the sonorous antistrophe of desolation to the strophe multitude. The next poem is called Nova. That Nova was a moderate star, like our good sun. It stored, no doubt, a little more than it spent, of heat and energy until the increasing tension came to the trigger point of a new chemistry. Then what was already flaming found a new manner of flaming ten thousandfold, more brightly for a brief time. What was a pinpoint fleck on a sensitive plate at the great telescope's eyepiece now shouts down the steep night to the naked eye, a nine-day superstar. It is likely our moderate father the sun will sometime put off his nature for a similar glory. The earth would share it. These tall green trees would become a moment's torches and vanish. The oceans would explode into invisible steam. The ships and the great whales fall through them like flaming meteors into the emptied abysm. The six-mile hollows of the Pacific seabed might smoke for a moment. Then the earth would be like the pale, proud moon. Nothing but vitrified sand and rock would be left on earth. This is a probable death passion for the sun's planets. We have no knowledge to assure us it may not happen at any moment of time. Meanwhile, the sun shines wisely and warm. Trees flutter green in the wind. Girls take their clothes off to bathe in the cold ocean or to hunt love. They stand laughing in the white foam. They have beautiful shoulders and thighs. They are beautiful animals. All life is beautiful. We cannot be sure of life for one moment. We can, by force and self-discipline, by many refusals and a few assertions, in the teeth of fortune, assure ourselves freedom and integrity and in life or integrity and in death. And we know that the enormous and vulnerable beauty of things is the face of God. To live gladly in its presence and die without grief or fear, knowing it survives us. The next poem is called Contemplation of the Sword, April 1938. 
Reason will not decide at last. The sword will decide. The sword, an obsolete instrument of bronze or steel, formerly used to kill men, but here, in the sense of a symbol, the sword, that is, the storms and counterstorms of general destruction, killing of men, destruction of all goods and materials, massacre, more or less intentional, of children and women, destruction, poured down from winds, the air made accomplice, the innocent air, perverted into assassin and poisoner. The sword, that is, treachery and cowardice, incredible baseness, incredible courage, loyalties, insanities, the sword, weeping and despair, mass enslavement, mass torture, frustration of all the hopes that starred man's forehead. Tyranny for freedom, horror for happiness, famine for bread, carrion for children. Reason will not decide, at least. The sword will decide. Dear God, who are the whole splendor of things and the sacred stars, but also the cruelty and greed, the treacheries and vileness, insanities and filth and anguish? Now that this thing comes near us again, I am finding it hard to praise you with a whole heart. I know what pain is, but pain can shine. I know what death is. I have sometimes longed for it. But cruelty and slavery and degradation, pestilence, filth, the pitifulness of men like little hurt birds and animals. If you were only waves beating rock, the wind and the iron-cored earth, the flaming, insolent wildness of sun and stars, with what a heart I could praise your beauty. You will not repent, nor cancel life, nor free man from anguish for many ages to come. You are the one that tortures himself to discover himself. I am one that watches you and discovers you, and praises you in little parables, idle or tragedy, beautiful, intolerable God. The sword, that is, I have two sons whom I love. They are twins. They were born in 1916, which seemed to us a dark year of a great war, and they are now of the age that war prefers. The firstborn is like his mother. He is so beautiful that persons I hardly know have stopped me on the street to speak of the grave beauty of the boy's face. The secondborn has strength for his beauty. When he strips for swimming, the hero shoulders and wrestler loins make him seem clothed. The sword, that is, loathsome disfigurements, blindness, mutilation, locked lips of boys too proud to scream. Reason will not decide at last. The sword will decide. And the next poem is called Shiva. 
There is a hawk that is picking the birds out of our sky. She killed the pigeons of peace and security. She has taken honesty and confidence from nations and men. She is hunting the lonely heron of liberty. She loads the arts with nonsense. She is very cunning. Science with dreams and the state with powers to catch them at last. Nothing will escape her at last, flying nor running. This is the hawk that picks out the star's eyes. This is the only hunter that will ever catch the wild swan. The prey she will take last is the wild white swan of the beauty of things. Then she will be alone, pure destruction, achieved and supreme, empty darkness under the death tent wings. She will build a nest of the swan's bones and hatch a new brood, hang new heavens with new birds, all be renewed. And the last poem is called Original Sin. The man-brained and man-handed ground ape, physically the most repulsive of all hot-blooded animals, up to that time of the world, they had dug a pitfall and caught a mammoth. But how could their sticks and stones reach the life in that hide? They danced around the pit, shrieking with ape excitement, flinging sharp flints in vain, and the stench of their bodies staying the white air of dawn. But presently one of them remembered the yellow dancer, wood-eating fire that guards the cave mouth. He ran and fetched him, and others gathered sticks at the wood's edge. They made a blaze and pushed it into the pit, and they fed it high around the mired sides of their huge prey. They watched the long, hairy trunk waver over the stifle, trumpeting pain, and they were happy. Meanwhile, the intense color and nobility of sunrise, rose and gold and amber, flowed up the sky. Wet rocks were shining, a little wind stirred the leaves of the forest and the marsh flagged flowers. The soft valley between the low hills became as beautiful as the sky while in its midst, hour after hour, the happy hunters roasted their living meat slowly to death. These are the people. This is the human dawn. As for me, I would rather be a worm and a wild apple than a son of man. But we are what we are, and we might remember not to hate any person for all are vicious, and not be astonished at any evil. All are deserved, and not fear death. It is the only way to be cleansed. Any comments or suggestions for readings I should make in future episodes can be emailed to Human Voices Wake Us, the number one, at gmail.com 
Links to each work used in this episode can be found in the episode description. If you enjoy Human Voices Wake Us, you can subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. The music here is Duke Ellington's Arabesque Cookie.